Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Los Angeles Angels are, in fact, not up for sale. A change, of course, for Artie Marino that stunned Major League Baseball insiders and reporters yesterday afternoon, early evening, West Coast time. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. We got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to look ahead at the AFC Championship game between the Chiefs and the Bengals. We'll look ahead this morning to the NFC Championship game between the 49ers and the Eagles. LSU women's basketball team gets a road win as they are now only one of two teams in women's college basketball that are still undefeated as of January 24th. We'll talk. Louisiana Raging Cajuns men's basketball this morning, McNeese Athletics, and of course the New Orleans Pelicans. But we're going to start off with baseball because this is interesting and significant on multiple levels. The Angels have been an absolute dumpster fire. They've had two, what many people consider, generational talents, league MVPs, and Mike Trout and Otani and have done jack squat. Jack squat. Nothing. They're never a factor. They have two of the best players in the league and have had that for over a decade now and haven't been able to do anything. Haven't been able to build a competent winner. Haven't even been able to build a winner, period. They have two of the best players in the game, yet are always routinely towards the bottom of their own division and always under 500, missing the postseason. And months ago, Artie Marino started exploring selling his franchise. Five months ago, in fact. Marino had announced that he was essentially moving on, selling the team that he had owned for so long. It was time to move on. But he's changed course now. He released a 132-word statement yesterday stating that unfinished business. Discussions advanced began to crystallize. We realize our hearts remain with the angels, and we're not ready to part ways with fans, players, and our employees, end quote. The 76-year-old, if you remember, purchased the Angels from the Walt Disney Company for only $183.5 million back in 2003. The year after the first and only championship in franchise history. That helped the franchise skyrocket in value 
And then the years that followed, you added Mike Trout and more recently, Otani. Forbes valued the Angels at $2.2 billion, with a B in March of 2022. So he's gotten back his investment, we could say. Paid $183.5 million for the franchise. Now it's worth $2.2 billion. But the problem with Artie is that he's ran the Angels absolutely the wrong way. You have generational talent. You waste them because you overspend on veteran free agents. If In the last 15 years, if you were a guy on the back end of your career looking, looking for a big payday, you'd go to the Angels because they always gave you whatever you wanted even though you weren't worth it anymore. And terrible franchise when it comes to developing or even having competent pitching. Which is why under Artie's reign as owner of the Angels, you've seen every other team in that division put together competent playoff teams, including the Astros putting together four teams that have reached the World Series and two teams that have won it. The Athletics have been playoff teams during this run. The Seattle Mariners got back into the playoffs this last year. You know what the Angels have done? Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. The Rangers have played for two World Series. The Astros have played for four. This is in your own division. And the Angels just sit home every October and just go, hey, what's that? Hey, hey, Mr. Marino, what's that on the television? We don't know what that is. What is that again? Oh, that's playoff baseball. It's playoff baseball. Boys, sorry. I run my franchise the wrong way. But he's increased its value. They've done the whole rebranding thing under Artie where they've now referenced themselves as Los Angeles, even though they're not in Los Angeles. I've been to the stadium where the Angels play. That is Anaheim. Different city. (laughs) Different city. But it's part of their rebranding where they wanted to be the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. So they get that L.A. market, that L.A. money. Now, Reports are that there was a potential sale net to somewhere in the neighborhood of $2.5 billion. That Marino was going to make $2.5 billion on the sale of the Angels. Golden State Warriors majority owner Joe Lacob and Los Angeles Times owner Patrick Shushang had been rumored to be among those interested with a sale expected in the coming months. But a source tells ESPN that Marino's thinking as the process continued to be playing out in front of him that a potential sale moved into the late stages that he found it increasingly difficult to part with the franchise he has presided over for two decades. It's also possible that prospective buyers did not meet Marino's asking price that essentially... Because he really wanted to keep the franchise, 
he made the price even higher than it's actually valued. Rich people problems. In a statement, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manford, always one to be on top of things, that's sarcasm, wrote, quote, despite strong buyer interest in the Angels, Artie Marino's love of the game is more important to him. I'm very pleased that Marino family has decided to continue owning the team, end quote. Just when I feel like I'm going to be in a good mood about something, Rob Manford opens up his big dumb mouth. How is it good for Major League Baseball that a franchise ran by one particular owner that has done jack squat, that has wasted or is currently wasting the generational talents of two phenomenal players? How is it good that his love and passion for his team is still going to result in them being crap. How's that good for baseball? I mean, you can love something and still be bad for it, right? We've all been in bad relationships. You love that person, but that relationship ain't good for you. You know who's not good for Angels and Major League Baseball? Artie Marino. That's that toxic relationship that you, which you, you try to forget about it and you grow past when you get a little bit older. But Rob Manford's happy. This is the man in charge of Major League Baseball, by the way. I'm very pleased that the Marino family has decided to continue owning the team. This guy. This guy kills me. This guy is in charge of the game I love. Woof. Woof, woof, woof. So Angels are no longer on the market. What can we expect from the team that shares a division with the Houston Astros, the defending World Series champions? Well, they have two really great players, and they'll more than likely not make the postseason. That, that's what you can expect. 21st season as the team's owner. What have they done in the 21 seasons that he's been owner of the Angels? Nothing. Nothing. His resume as owner, despite having a bunch of MVP trophies in the team case, is nothing, 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 nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Astros, far better, far superior. Rangers, far better. I'd argue the Seattle Mariners now are far better. The Oakland Athletics, not so much. Their stadium is a dump and their owner is... Actually hates his team. That's the only explanation on how he approaches dealing with running his franchise. It's of note, Marino is the first Hispanic owner of a major sports team in the U.S., which is great. It's groundbreaking. And then he was able to attain instant credibility upon taking over with the fans. He lowered beer prices. He signed Vladimir Guerrero to a really expensive contract, as well as Bartolo Colon. Once again, the, the beginning of overpaying for veteran free agents who are past their prime. And early on, they did well. 
They still had Mike Sosha, their World Series winning skipper, and had a dominant run of five division titles over a six-year stretch from 2004 to 2009. So he kept it going. Overspent, but kept it going. But the Angels have made the postseason only once since 2009, and it's now 2023. I'm correct? Dawson, you're a new hire. It is 2023, correct? You're shaking your head, yes? Okay, there we go. I was just making sure, because last time I checked, 2009 to 2023 is a long time of only making the postseason once. And once again, in that stretch, Mike Trout and now Shohei Otani. So, the Angels will remain in Major League Baseball under the direction, under the ownership of Artie Marino. And if you're a Houston Astros fan this morning, you're doing this. You're applauding. You're applauding Artie Marino for deciding he wants to keep owning the team that he allegedly loves. You want to thank Rob Manford for applauding that decision because you know what that's going to do for you? Because as long as Artie Marino keeps owning the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, that's one less team for the Houston Astros to have to deal with or even have to worry about. Woo! Good show here. Lined up for you today on RP3 and Company. We want to hear from you. We'll talk about it all. NFL, NBA, college basketball, both men and women, LSU, UL, McNeese, and of course, you can chop it up with us by calling the hotline, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111 right here on RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I think it started on defense. I think we uh, put Angel Reese on Brittany Davis, and I think she set the tone with her length and size and everything Brittany, um, you know, got, she had to work for. And I thought that, um, you know, those uh, Alabama, they, they scored 10 threes a game, and we held them to half that. And I just thought our defense was active. I thought that we moved. I thought we communicated. Um, you got four kids that scored in double figures. You had three kids that scored or that rebounded double figures. We shot the ball really well. Jasmine Carson really, really lit it up from the three, and it just kind of snowballed from there. LSU women's basketball coach Kim Mulkey on her team's 89-51 to win on the road last night in Tuscaloosa as they easily took care of the Alabama Crimson Tide. And with the win... The Tigers are now one of only two teams in women's college basketball that are undefeated. The other one, South Carolina. They play each other next month in the regular season. Sure does look like, to me, 
that this season is shaping up to the SEC coming down to who wins that game, the regular season title. The SEC tournament's going to come down to a matchup between LSU and South Carolina. Depending on how each one of those teams feels about winning the conference tournament. So that's the part of that that I'm not quite ready to go ahead and put both of them in the SEC tournament championship because they both may decide, you know what, winning the conference tournament's not all that important to us because we're going to be one seeds anyway and for we're going to be on a collision course for the Final Four. Does it matter? But that'll be decided later. But right now, that's where LSU stands. They improved to 20-0 on the season, 8-0 in SEC play. Angel Reese, if you haven't heard, she's really, really good at playing basketball. Should be in the conversation for National Player of the Year as she continues her double-double streak. In last night's win, 14 points, 14 rebounds, 2 blocks, 2 assists. And she recorded yet another double-double. That's number 20 on the season, which is now a record. Sylvia Fowles, who held the record in LSU women's basketball history, even posted a little video on social media to Angel Reese, giving the crown off of her head to Angel. And Angel, of course, on social media was beyond humbled by the legend passing that torch down to her. And Kim talked about Angel Reese's double-double record. Yeah, well, what she did, um, she came up to me twice. The, <laughs> the first time was she was trying to show me how they were bodying her up and guarding her. And I said, yeah, I'm over here griping about it. All I can do is gripe. Just somebody to, you know, she just, coach, help me here. They just bodying me up, pushing me. And then uh, uh, I'm glad she's happy. Um, we have a team that, um, honestly, they're all happy. Uh, they get frustrated at themselves and think they can do better. Uh, but when you're 20 and 0, you break a record. One of the greatest all-time players ever, not just at LSU and Sylvia Fowles, but in the in the country in the history of women's basketball, and you break that record, uh, she's in uh, she's in wonderful company. How key has she been? I don't think can be described. And the fact that Kim Mulkey has figured out on the fly just like Brian Kelly has at LSU on to adjust to the new world of the NCAA transfer portal. These are two veteran coaches. Kim Mulkey is retirement age. She's already been inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, by the way. She's already in there. (laughs) So, you know, these are coaches that are set. Brian Kelly's been coaching for 30 years. Yet both of them, veteran coaches, older coaches, have been able to pivot and been able to execute the NCAA transfer portal. We've seen what Brian Kelly was able to do in his first year at the helm, and we're seeing what Kim Mulkey's doing because, remember, Angel Reese comes from Maryland where she was an All-American. Like Kim Mulkey was able to go to the transfer portal and said, you know what, I'm just going to go get myself an All-American. Here we go. And since that young woman has stepped on campus, she has taken over games. She's been absolutely dominant. Definitely deserves to be in the conversation for National Player of the Year. 
But there has something, there has been something going on recently when it comes to Angel. And that she's getting to the free throw line a whole lot more. Last night, she was 6 of 10 from the charity stripe. Took the most attempts of anyone on the team. And we're starting to see this. She's their best player. And Kim was asked in postgame, is she starting to see what we used to call, the older people would remember this, the hack-a-shack approach where you just foul the best player and just force them to be at the free throw line instead of giving them easy buckets. And this is what Kim had to say. You're right. Um, I, I think with hack, maybe hack-a-shack, uh, y'all can tell me better than anybody. I think most his was they didn't respect his free throw shooting. So every time he touched it, they wanted him to go to the foul line. I don't think that's what it is with Angel. I think she's just a, a beast and they don't want her to score. Uh, she can make her free throws when she needs to. Um, I think they do body up to her. You know, it's it's respect, first of all. I don't think it's dirty play in any way. It's just respect. And she's going to have to learn how to handle that. And I think she has. Um, I'm going to work the officials. I will protect her. Uh, she's not a person that, that needs much protection physically because she's got that body. But if they officiate it the way they have been, I see no problem. What makes this LSU team great is just not Angel Reese or having Kim Mulkey. They do have what appears to be somewhat of a complete team. Jasmine Carson has really developed as a shooter last night. She led the Tigers with 20 points on 8 of 14 shooting. And not only do you get Jasmine Carson who's contributing, you're also getting the team committing to playing defense, which Kim has always preached when she was a player at Louisiana Tech, when she was an assistant under Barmore at Louisiana Tech, and when she was at Baylor. You're going to have to play defense to play for Kim. And she's seeing improvement across the board, not only with Jasmine, but with the team's defense. Well, it opens it up for you. It gives you this sigh of relief, like, whew, now we can spread the floor a little bit better and they don't pack it in the paint. Uh, Jasmine, you know, I've only had one other kid in all my coaching career that when they miss, you're really disappointed because you expect them to make every shot they take out there. And she, um, I'm not even going to say she was on fire. That's just what we expect to see from Jasmine. And uh, she shot the ball good and uh, – uh, we we just we just had a good night, guys, and uh, to hold, you know, Alabama to what was it, 51 points? I don't know if that's a season low or I don't know, but that's that's pretty good. 18 points on the road in the first half. Um, that's that's guarding people. LSU will return to action, and it will be back at home, and that'll be on Monday. They essentially have a week off. It's a weird quirk in the schedule. They'll have a week off. And they'll be back at the PMAC on the 30th when they welcome in the Tennessee Volunteers for a marquee matchup there at the Pete Maravich Assembly Center. Whew, LSU, they sure do look like a Final Four team and a national title contender to me. But you know, Kim, even though they're being undefeated right now, even though they're undefeated right now, uh, she's still going to push them. She's still going to try to get better and improve every single day. And that's what's made her a Hall of Fame coach. We got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll look ahead to the NFC Championship game coming up here on RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Um, I mean, I don't think you take anything to level up. You try to you do as good as you can every single week, and um, I think we got a pretty good team. Um, we've got a very talented team, also a team that plays well together. Um, I know they do. They've been as good as anyone since the beginning of this year and all the way to right now. And um, If you looked at the beginning of the year, you thought Philly would be the last team right here, and that's the way it's ended up. So um, we're going to end up going down there. Hopefully we'll have a good week of practice and looking forward to the challenge. San Francisco 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan on whether or not he believes his team's going to have to step it up a level versus the Philadelphia Eagles. That's your NFC championship game matchup. And, and really, let's be fair, for the better part of the season, the two best teams in the NFC were the Philadelphia Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers. You know, there was questions about whether or not San Francisco would be able to rally without Jimmy G as the starting quarterback. Well, they've answered that. And these two teams mirror each other so well. They both run the football effectively. They both have playmakers on the outside. Philly's got two really good wide receivers. San Francisco has a really good tight end and Debo Samuel who can use that running back or on end rounds and in the slot or have them run a post. So they have both have weapons. Philly obviously has the advantage on the quarterback. MVP candidate Jalen Hurts, who can hurt you with both his feet and his arm. And he has the experience as well. What's interesting, though, is Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy faced each other in like this epic game between the two when they were in college between Oklahoma and Ohio State, where they both had like six touchdowns each. <laughs> so, so that, you know, it's kind of an interesting quirk. But, they also have both have really, really good borderline great defenses. So they both can run the football. They both have playmakers on the outside to make plays when need be. And they both play really good defense. It's going to be a challenge. And it, we're, we're to the point now where everyone is clamoring for the other shoe to drop on Brock Purdy. Like I couldn't open up the microphone yesterday on the show and I didn't even praise Brock Purdy. I just mentioned what his stat line was. Oh, blah, blah, blah. and it was like, calm down. Like, we we nothing we love to do more in our sports culture is to be behind someone for a great story, and then when we're tired of that story after a month, we want to tear them down. We we love nothing more, right? As soon as. Too many people like us like something or too many people like a story. We turn on it in a heartbeat. You're already seeing it now with Brock Purdy. Oh, he's a he's a fraud. Oh, the other shoe's gonna drop. He hasn't faced a defense like Philadelphia. Oh, stop giving him his flowers. It's like, calm down. 
He's done a nice job. As a seventh-round draft pick rookie, he's done a nice job. He hasn't lost any games. He really hasn't won any games. He's a game manager, which is not necessarily a negative thing, by the way. That that means you're doing your job. I just want to point out, the term game manager means you're actually doing your job, and you're doing it in a competent fashion. So, just, just throwing it out there. But, the reality is, is that Brock is going to have to play even better than he did in the victory against Dallas, right? It, it, he's going to have to. There's going to be no choice. They're going to run the football with McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell, even though both are banged up in this ballgame. But he's going to have to make some throws. And... Kyle Shanahan was asked, what is his message to his young quarterback as he gets ready for his first road playoff game? It's like every other game. You won't be able to hear as well. Um, so don't make it anything more than that. You won't be able to hear as well, so we'll work silent cadence, um, which he's done well at that um, when he has gone on the road. I think he's been on the road for Seattle. Um, it was for Vegas. I can't remember the other ones, but um, going to get a good, a good team in a tough environment, and sometimes it's fun to go on the road. They're going to have to prepare him because the first two weeks he got to stay at home there in Santa Clara. Now he has to go on the road, and it's going to be chilly, and it's going to be hostile because it's Philadelphia. The link is going to be absolutely electric on Sunday. Those Eagle fans are borderline nuts. And they are going to be loud. It's gonna, you're gonna hear it through your television set. So Shanahan, the veteran coach who's coached a lot of different ways, has been in a lot of different scenarios, is gonna have to get his guy ready for that. I don't care how big the crowds were when he was in college. He has never heard anything that he's gonna hear on Sunday. He just hasn't. Now What the 49ers do really well, though, is that they don't put Brock Purdy in a position to have to make dangerous throws. Now, he missed some throws in the Cowboys game. That game shouldn't have even been as close as it was. Because he missed some throws. He missed his guys. Missed his targets. Philly's back end of their defense is far better than Dallas, so he's not going to be able to get away with that. They're going to make him pay for those type of mistakes. But Shanahan is still who he is, right? He's going to want to run the football. He just is. He'll get the ball into Kittles and Debo Samuel's hand, sure. But he's going to want to run the football. And if Kyle Shanahan can win a game 13-10, to he'll do it. If that means going to the Super Bowl, he'll do it. Once again, he has kind of tweaked and adjusted his offensive philosophy in a way he calls games because he had to, because he had to go to Brock Purdy. And I'm telling you right now, when you tune into that game on Sunday, there's going to be times you're like, man, why are they doing the same thing? And they're not getting anything. They're only getting two and a half yards of carry. Why they're committed to the run game? Because Shanahan's going to be committed to the run game because he knows it's what's going to pay off in the end. It's what's going to have to pay off in the end. 
Philadelphia Eagles, meanwhile, they're back in the NFC Championship game. New coaches putting his stamp on things. And remember, this is a franchise that's had continued success, right? Andy Reid led him to so many championship games over and over again. Then Doug Peterson takes over and leads him to a Super Bowl victory. Well, now, Nick Cesare has them in place one win away from getting back to the Super Bowl yet again. And, of course, they're led by Jalen Hurts, the former Alabama-Oklahoma quarterback who has developed as a passer at this level, in particular under Nick. And he talked about how his quarterback truly helps this team and helps the offense. Yeah, um, Jalen always is going to help the running game big time because of what he can do and the threat that he poses back on the backside. Um, even if he's not carrying it, right? Even if he's not having runs to him, and thanks, Bob, and everything like that, he, he's still going to affect the game. Um, you know, and that and that's what he did, right? He affected the game because he demands attention on the backside. And, right, not to only not that, but he, he runs the show out there, right? He's like a point guard, right? And so... He's getting us to good checks. You know, we have we have checks on. That's a hard. De- that's a good defense. That's that they they pose a lot of problems. Wink Martindale is a great coordinator. He's a great coordinator. His guys play hard for him. Brian Dable is a great head coach. His guys play hard for him, and and they pose a lot of issues. And so the quarterbacks got to go in there and help um, with those when teams pose issues like that. Of course, he was talking about the challenges of facing the Giants and giving them some respect and some kudos there. As good as the Giants' defense is, it's not San Francisco. 49ers may have the best defense in the league. Their front seven is absolutely nasty, and I mean that as the highest form of flattery. So this is going to be a grudge match. And what Jalen does really well, because he can run the football so well, he can throw in the run. And that means when you have a quarterback that does that, it sucks in the linebacker, right? So the linebacker can't be dropped back into coverage. So he has to be sucked in to have to shadow Hurts, his ability to be able to run the football. Well, when that happens, now you have more favorable coverage. And now Jalen, because he can throw on the run, and that's something San Francisco's DBs and their linebackers are going to have to be really disciplined about come Sunday. Now, Nick likes to promote a dog mentality. It's something that he's taken over and has talked about with his team. It's kind of become their mantra, if you will, with the Eagles. And now that they're one win away from advancing to the Super Bowl in Glendale, Arizona, what does that dog mentality mean for his team right now? What dog mentality means, Sal, is is that you enjoy it for a second, but you learn from it, right? You learn from the mistakes that you make. You learn from the things that you did well. And you're moving in the past, right? And so that's that's the whole thing. Like even when we're up 28 nothing, it's hey, we're starting again, and it's like it's zero zero. So of course we're excited tonight, but we know we have so much bigger goals. And the and the only next goal is whoever we play next is wanting to win that game, and then and then go from there. So our focus won't change. Our focus is hey, we're climbing this mountain. We're, we're close. We're close to the top. Don't look at the top yet, though. Look at the steps that you have to make this week. And that's been the message the entire year. Our guys, um, they, they say the same thing. Rent's due today. I mean, there's different ways of saying um, dog mentality. But it is, it is truly, hey, we're going lo- to we're gonna, we're gonna enjoy this one. 
It's going to be a great game. There's going to be two great games on Sunday because they're so evenly matched. And the NFC game is going to be 49ers-Eagles. It's going to be a good one. Poll question of the day. Which playoff coach do you trust the most? Is it Andy Reid with the Kansas City Chiefs? Is it Kyle Shanahan with San Francisco 49ers? Is it Zach Taylor with the Cincinnati Bengals? Or is our friend Nick with the Philadelphia Eagles? Right now, 38% of you say Andy Reid. 33% say Kyle Shanahan. 29% say Zach Taylor. And no votes for the Eagles coach. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. And you know what? We'll share them throughout today's show. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller. Constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Some breaking news, but not necessarily stunning news. Adam Schefter is reporting that Alabama offensive coordinator and quarterback coach and former Houston Texans head football coach Bill O'Brien has returned to New England, where he is going to be named the Patriots' offensive coordinator, sources are telling Schefter and others at ESPN. Remember, O'Brien not only was the New England Patriots' assistant coach from 2011 to 2007 to 2011, he also returns to Coach Mac Jones, whom he worked with at Alabama. Checks a lot of boxes if you're the Patriots. You have a guy who understands the culture, who understands how things are done, already has a relationship with Mac Jones. And after going through the Nick Saban coaching rehab clinic, is now back in the NFL. Back where he had his most success. Now, he had a great run with the Texans, but everything kind of melted down at the end there with when he took control of the front office. Yeah. Usually never a good idea to let the head coach also be in charge of front office personnel decisions. Usually does not end well. But Alabama OC quarterback coach Bill O'Brien headed to New England to be reunited with Bill Belichick and Mac Jones. He'll be serving as the offensive coordinator. Good news there if you're an Alabama fan. (laughs) He wasn't very popular. Just... Wasn't very popular in Tuscaloosa. But Nick Saban has now lost both of his coordinators in the same offseason. Remember, defensive coordinator is now currently at Ole Miss. So, some change going on over in T-Town. That's going to do it for hour number one. Coming up in hour number two, we'll talk with Bob Marlin. Louisiana Raging Cajuns men's basketball coaches team has won six in a row. They'll be outside, inside the Cajun Dome not once but twice this week. We'll talk about that. And, of course, we'll take your phone calls. 
Game hotline's always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. That's three three seven seven zero six zero one 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 is the hotline. If you want to chop it up with us this morning here on RP three and Company, coming up fifteen minutes from right now, Bob Marlin, longtime Louisiana Region Cajuns men's basketball coach, will be joining us. His team's on a six-game winning streak, and they'll be able to come back home this week with games scheduled for Thursday and Saturday. So that'll be coming up, but we'll have time to talk to you now, Owen. Later on in this hour, spent hour number one looking ahead at the NFC championship game between the Eagles and the 49ers. Also talked about the LSU women's basketball team going on the road and not having any problems whatsoever as they take down Alabama, a 15 win Alabama team at that. This is just how good this LSU team is. 89 to 51, Angel Reese, her 20th double-double as LSU improves to 20-0 on the season. They're one of only two teams left in women's college basketball that are undefeated. The other being South Carolina, also of the SEC. Now, the Tigers will have a week off here in the schedule. They won't get back to work until next week at home inside the PMAC as they'll take on Tennessee. That game will be on January 30th, 6 o'clock tip, and that should be a great game in its own right. LSU women keep rolling. Angel Reese keeps making a case to be in the conversation for National Player of the Year. Once again, she breaks the record set by Sylvia Fowles for most consecutive double-doubles. And Sylvia even gave her a shout-out on social media, essentially passing the crown from her to Angel. And this team is deep. It's just not Angel Reese. It just isn't. I mean, she is dominant. She's a great player. But they're having other players step up in a big way on this team. And that's why they're one of the best teams in the country. And they appear to be destined for a Final Four trip, at least. That That's probably the expectation. Last year, they fell short of the expectations. Everyone got excited about Kim's first year in Baton Rouge. And then they lost in the second round. Right? Everyone thought that was at least going to be a sweet 16 or an elite 18. But this year, the realistic expectations for this team is a final four trip. I even feel it even feels like a trip to the Elite Eight and then it ending there would feel like a disappointment, doesn't it? It just feels that way. Even though they haven't been to the Elite Eight in years. And that would be a great step in the evolution of what they're doing there in Baton Rouge under Kim Mulkey. It just would feel like anything short of a Final Four would feel like a disappointment. And that's how quickly 
Kim has changed the bar at LSU. It's back to what it was under Pokey Chapman when they went to all those Final Fours in a row with Simone Augustus and Sylvia Fowles. That it's, we expect LSU women's basketball team to be at the Final Four year in, year out. And Kim has done that in less than two years. She's already changed the perception of the program and what the expectations of the program should be. They'll get some time to rest before taking on Tennessee next week. Not only that, we shared with you the news that came out yesterday about Artie Marino, the longtime owner of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. He has changed his mind. Five months ago, he decided to sell his team that is now worth nearly $2.5 billion, according to Forbes. When he bought it from the Walt Disney Company the year after they won the World Series, he only purchased it for $183 million. So he would make money on this deal. But he has opted to not sell his franchise. And this is a good thing if you're the Astros. You're happy today. If you're an Astro fan and you wake up to the news that Artie Marino has decided not to sell the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, this is great news. You're happy. You know why? Because that man doesn't know how to run his franchise anymore and hasn't. When he first took over, he still had, by the way, key thing here, he still had Mike Sosha as his skipper. Of course, Sosha won the World Series championship. He kept him. They kept winning the division year in, year out. And they overspent some from aging free agents. But they were still credible for the first five to six years that already owned them. But then everything started going sideways. Since 2009 on, they keep spending the money. They keep overspending on free agents. And they've had not one, but two generational talents. Guys that are going to go down and more than likely, Trout for sure, Otani is on the path of being Hall of Famers. And they haven't done anything. They win a lot of MVP awards. The Angels do. They don't make the playoffs. They don't even produce winning seasons. Think about that. Artie's lost his touch. Now, whether it was because he still had Mike Sosha early on and had a competent skipper, and they had a lot of that core that won the World Series championship that kind of carried over, and the Astros and the other teams were dumpster fires, could be a reason why. But the rest of the teams in the division are all, are all better than the Angels. The Rangers have gone to two World Series since then. Since Artie Marino has owned the Angels, the Rangers have won the American League pennant not once but twice. The Astros have won it four times. I, in recent years, they've won it four times. The Athletics have been a perennial playoff team, despite their owner hating them. And now the Seattle Mariners got into the postseason this year, ending a long-standing skid, right? And where are the Angels? Sitting on their hands when it comes to October. 
They're not doing anything. Nothing. Not doing a lick. So if you're an Astros fan, you're happy that Artie Marino has decided to not sell his team. Because if he would have sold them, there was other people in, involved, one of the majority owners of the Golden State Warriors, some other folks that are smart, business people that know how to put together winners. You change hands, someone comes in with fresh perspective, wants to invest money into your product, usually it turns things around. You don't have to worry about that, Astro fan. Angels aren't turning anything around. Oh, Artie's still there. <laughs> Just amazing. And, of course, Rob Manford's happy about it. <laughs> that shows you everything that you need to know about the commissioner of Major League Baseball. That he comes out and releases a statement that, you know, Artie's love for the team and basically, and this, this is good. It's, it, this is a good thing that he's keeping the team. Sure it is. Sure it is. If you think a guy that owns a team that has not one but two generational talents on it that can't put together winning seasons is good for Major League Baseball? Why are you in charge of Major League Baseball? This is just another reason why Rob Manford should not be even allowed remotely around anything involving Major League Baseball. He's on my list. Is he tops on my list? It's hard. It's between him and Daniel Snyder, who I despise more. They battle it out. It goes back and forth, depending on what time of year it is. We also asked you for our poll question of the day. Which playoff coach do you trust the most? We're down to four. Andy Reid, you know about his success. Multiple conference championships, both in the NFC and the AFC. He's now led the Chiefs to five straight AFC championship games. They've been to two Super Bowls, winning one. He's the old man. He's the veteran. Kyle Shanahan, we know what he can do. He's proven himself. He's won in the postseason as well. Zach Taylor did a tremendous job with the Bengals and Joey Burrow as they went to the Super Bowl a year ago. And Nick with the Philadelphia Eagles, look what he's done. Things did not end well for Doug Peterson in Philadelphia. They had to make a change. And quickly, here they are, one win away from going to the Super Bowl. So we asked you, which playoff coach do you trust the most? 47% of you say Andy Reid. 27% of you say Kyle Shanahan. Another 27% of you say Zach Taylor. Let's get to some comments. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, Shanahan wins when he has a healthy team. Reid has a little choke history, but the other's a bit unproven. JPK, the OD, says, Kyle, love the team building, blueprint, play calling, and demeanor. With that being said, I think Philly is just too good for them. Look at me, Mr. RP3. A short, concise answer with no gif. Hashtag breaking tendencies, and then he shared a gif. <laughs> oh, God bless you, JPK, the OD. Ralph says, if you go by winning percentage, it's Taylor, but Reed has so much experience. Honestly, I think at this point it's more Jimmy and Joes than X's and O's. Bengals versus Eagles in the Super Bowl. That, that kind of sounds like what's going to happen. Houdat Forever says, I trust the quarterbacks more than I trust the coaches. Remember, before Mahomes, Andy Reid had a legacy of falling apart and choking in the playoffs. Don't really know enough about Taylor or Sirianni yet. Shanahan's no for Super Bowl blunders. Purdy's the only quarterback I don't know about yet. I get the whole thing about Reid choking in the playoffs. 
But to get a franchise always in the mix to conference championship games and getting to a Super Bowl, it's immensely difficult. I don't know necessarily if that's choking. I'm always been weary of that label when it comes to to coaches. Ralph says, I just checked with Foot, and he said it doesn't matter. The refs will determine the outcome, not the coaches. <laughs> Todd on Twitter says, Reed or Shanahan? I went with Shanahan, but 50-50, honestly. By the way, Angels haven't been relevant since they had actual Angels in the outfield. And, he, of course, he shared a gift from Angels in the Outfield, the Disney movie. Keep those comments coming. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter and keep those votes coming as well on our poll question of the day. After this timeout, when we come back, Bob Marlin, longtime Raging Cajuns men's basketball coach, will join us. His team is riding a six-game win streak as they head back home here at the Cajun Dome for two games this week. Can they keep it going? We'll ask Coach about that coming up next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru. Oof. And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns men's basketball team finds itself tied atop the Sunbelt Conference standings. They're riding a six-game winning streak, winning tough games on the road as well. They come back home for a pair of games this week inside the Cajun, Cajun Dome. And now joining us here on RP3 and Company to talk about what his team's been able to do to this point of the season is the longtime head coach of the Raging Cajuns. Bob Marlin joins us. Coach, good morning to you, brother. Congratulations on the successful road trip. Thanks, Raymond. I appreciate it. Uh, looking, looking forward to a big week at home. Let, let's talk about closing out the road trip the way you guys did. Back-to-back uh, -back nine-point wins on the road. You know teams are always going to be giving forth their best effort. Texas State, as we know, has been really good in the conference the last couple of years. So you knew those trips weren't going to be easy yet. Your team was able to find a way to close out those games and pick up back-to-back -back road wins yet again. How impressed were you with your team's ability to close it out? Well, to end a four-game uh, consecutive conference road swing it, uh, was, was impressive, Raymond. And the two games on Thursday night were similar to two games on Saturday. Uh, Monroe, we got off to a big lead. South Alabama, we fell behind at halftime in the second half. Had to come back and win. And we did the same thing on this trip. We beat Arkansas State wire to wire, but got off to a quick start on them, but we allowed them to get back in the game uh, to a couple possession game late, late uh, in the middle of the second half. We're able to pull away, and, and that was 
similar to Texas State. Uh, we had led the entire first half. They got the lead early in the first second half. Uh, but we were able to pull it back and and get it done. So it was impressive. It's hard to do in college basketball, and, and uh, really proud of our guys. For the season, you're uh, giving up less than 70 points, just a share, uh, just a hair under 70 points per game. I, I know you're a taskmaster. I know you uh, want to you know push your guys to even better success. Is that 70 threshold? Is that kind of where you want? your team to be defensively holding opponents under? Yeah, that's a good number, Raymond. We, to be honest, we look at a field goal percentage defense, uh, three-point field goal percentage defense, and, and effective field goal percentage defense. That's how we judge that because I've always been a, a part of the school that feels that if you score, you're going to give up some points. And you know how many times we've scored 80 points and how fast we play? Well, if you play like Texas State and hold the ball in the shot clock every time, does that mean you're great defensively or you shorten the possessions of the game? So ball control is is key in, in that area too. So the 70 points for us is right on par. You're, you're holding opponents to only 41% from the field and three-point range, they're only shooting 32 point, you know, 32%. So that's right along the lines of, what you guys are wanting to do, where do you feel like you can still maybe improve on some things in particular when it comes to your defense, Coach? Just working together, Raymond. We, we've got to get a couple of guys back in the mix. Mike Thomas played a little bit the other day. First time he had played in, in five games. He was able to spell Themis Folks a few minutes. Themis has been carrying the load for us at the point. Uh, Kobe Julian is another guy that, that we're trying to work in and get him – where he needs to be, uh, and both those guys are smart players and, and can, can help our team. But defensively is, is an area still that we need to improve in. We need to be consistent. I thought we had a great defensive game plan and, and executed that game plan at Texas State. And that's why we won the game, because we missed too many free throws and, and uh, didn't shoot the ball like we normally do, which is top ten in the country. Is that the most difficult thing to get a young man to do, a 17, 18-year-old to do, coaches, to buy in? Because so many of these guys get excited about what happens on the offensive side of things, right? A slam dunk or a three-point shot. But then sometimes they forget to hustle back on defense. Is that the one of the bigger things that you have to do when, when you're dealing with a young player and kind of grooming them and coaching them up? Yeah, I think any player you bring in, they feel like that they know how to play a little bit. And they don't realize the emphasis that we're going to put on defensive transition. And it's the first thing we do in the summer. And we do it, you know, weekly throughout the year. And we demand those guys have to sprint. And we've gotten really a lot better uh, this throughout the season in transition defense. And, you know, we, we take better care of the ball, Raymond, so you don't give a pick six, if you will, and, and let those guys get out in front. You can't stop those. So, We've done a, a really good job in our transition, and I think that's the biggest thing that you have to tell the, the young guys coming in and, and just tell them you have to be able to trust them. They need to trust you. Well, I'm not going to trust somebody to show me they can play defense. Got to be able to do the dirty work, right? That's what it boils down to. There's, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of guys out there, young men out there that can shoot the basketball, that can score. But right. finding guys that can do everything and commit to doing everything, 
that's they're they're not as common, are they? No, they're not, Raymond. And, and you know what? It's being patient in today's time that people don't want to wait. They don't want to wait. They they want to play right away. And you know, I've always told recruits. I mean, so you score a thousand points in high school, whatever. And you know, as a freshman, how, 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 did you start for the varsity? Well, no, I wasn't on the varsity as a freshman. Well, you're a freshman here, and it's a different level. You have to work and be patient uh, and uh, avoid the pitfalls that are around all these young players that can really play. We're talking with Bob Marlin, longtime Raging Cajun men's basketball coach. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. His Cajuns riding a six-game winning streak now in conference play, and they're going to be at home this week against Troy on Thursday night inside the Cajun Dome, 7 o'clock tip, and then again on Saturday they'll be taking on Georgia Southern. That'll be at 7 o'clock as well. Let's talk about your first opponent this week, Coach. What can you tell us about the Troy Trojans, what they're going to bring to the table, what kind of challenges are they going to present your team? Well, they're going to be a gritty team. They'll play extremely hard. Uh, They're good defensively. Um, they're going to grind the ball. They, they on the defensive end, on the offensive end, they're shooting it quick. They're shooting a lot of three-point shots this year, Raymond. And they've got some guys that can make them. Uh, they beat Florida State in Tallahassee. They uh, had Arkansas beat in Fayetteville and, and let that one go with about five minutes left in the game. But they've got a really good team. They've got a guy named Zay Williams, uh, an interior guy that is an all-conference player last year and the preseason all-conference this year. and They're, they're extremely well coached. Uh, they've got a chip on their shoulder because we beat them twice last year, beat them in the conference tournament semifinals. So they feel like that uh, they're, we feel like they're going to come in here and give us their best game, which they always do. Yeah, Marshall, Southern Miss, and your team are all 6-2 and two atop the standings. And then Troy and Georgia Southern are right there at five and three. So is ULM. And after you get done with Troy on Thursday, taking them on, you're going to be facing one of those other teams that are nipping on your heels in the standings, and that's Georgia Southern. I know it's still early in the week, Coach, and you're focused on Troy first, but uh, what can uh, maybe we expect to see Saturday night in the Cajun Dome when Georgia Southern takes the court? Well, Coach Berg's done a really good job at Georgia Southern, and they'll try to to slow the game down and limit the possessions like Texas State. To some degree, they'll be very tough defensively like Troy. Uh, you know, they, they got off to a good start. And the thing, Raymond, you just mentioned it, we're, we're just a game in front of these people. So we're playing people that are with us. We've got you know, Texas State again coming up next weekend and Marshall. But we've got we've to get some separation. And you do that when you play teams that, that are close in the rankings when you play head-to-head. Coach, always appreciate your time and your insight, brother. Congratulations on the win streak. Best of luck this Thursday and Saturday with your two home games there inside the Cajun Dome, Coach, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Raymond. See you soon. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. 24 
six, seven, eight. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. leadership at every position um, you know we talked about last night they were 13 and one at home in the playoffs the best home winning percentage uh, in NFL history and I wanted to show that to the team because I knew what that would do to them that wouldn't put fear in them that oh my god we're walking into an environment that people don't win in. it was going to be the opposite for our guys Zach Taylor Cincinnati Bengals head coach after they went into Orchard Park New York and took down the Buffalo Bills preseason favorites to go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl and they did so in convincing fashion always give a shout out to having the players boom their music in the background during interviews nothing's better than that or playing video games or ping pong or yelling in the background you'd think that in the National Football League we would in the year of 2023 that we would be able to find rooms in stadiums to conduct interviews that would be insulated just a thought just throwing it out there it's a billion dollar industry maybe maybe we can find someone and pay them i don't know like five thousand dollars to construct a meeting room that is you know soundproof just gonna throw it out there it's a bold idea by yours truly (laughs) just what come on man Come on. Can we get... <sighs> Moving on. You know, the Bengals are kind of built for this, right? You know why they're built for this? Because they have Joe Burrow. I, I, Zach Taylor has done a nice job. They have some nice players on defense. And sorry, Saints fan, Eli Apple's making plays on the defensive side of the football for the Bengals. I know that's hard. I know that's hard to hear. I know that upsets you, (laughs) but he's actually a pretty good player for the Bengals. Eh, You don't want to hear that, but that's the truth. But it all starts with Burrow. Love Jamar Chase. Love what he brings to the table. Jamar's never had to worry about catching balls from anybody else not named Joe Burrow. You realize that? His college career, Joey Burrow. His NFL career, Joe Burrow. He doesn't have to worry. He's got Burrow. To throw him the football. I love Jamar. Love him. Love what he brings to the table. You can make an argument him and Jordan Jefferson and Stephon Diggs are the top three best wide receivers in the NFL right now. But Jamar's got it kind of easy, right? He's got Burrow to throw him the football. Sometimes the guy that is under center is really all you need. And they've figured out how to get competent play. Their offensive line is not great. They played great against Buffalo. But their O-line is not great. But everyone kind of plays a little bit harder. Everyone plays a little bit better. Everyone stays out there and pushes through the pain and through the elements a little bit more because of the guy leading them. It makes a difference. It just does. And when you got a guy that has just the right amount of swag, 
that Burrow does, where it's not cockiness, it's just confidence. It's close. It's close. But the guy backs it up. I mean, think about this. Wins a national championship at LSU. Number one overall pick. Has his rookie season derailed because of injury because Cincinnati was like, we don't need an offensive line. Comes back from the injury, leads them to the Super Bowl. Now they're one win away from another Super Bowl. That's a pretty good run, don't you think? That's a pretty nice little four-year stretch there of achievement from Joe Burrow. Just saying. Guy's a different. Guy is different. And for the Bengals, you can tell that their mentality is different. This isn't the Bengals teams of Chad Johnson and Ocho Cinco and TJ Husmajada and when they had uh, Carson Palmer there or even later with Andy Dalton and A.J. Green. This is different. They're always looking like they're ready to attack. They're aggressive. And Zach Taylor talked about how his team is always ready to pounce on the opposition. Our guys believe uh, they walk on the field ready to attack. You know, and so we were taking the ball whether we were in the coin toss or not. So we lost. We won the coin toss. However you want to look at it. Uh, those guys want to walk on the field and start attacking other teams, and that's what happened today. And they came right out. It was like, we're not scared of you, Buffalo. Now, to be fair to the Bills, right, they didn't have most of their guys on the back end of their defense because of injuries, and, you know, they lost Vaughn Miller during the season. I, I get all that. But I'm sorry. I'm old school. Injuries are excuses. Every team deals with injuries. Every team deals with injuries. Every single team. The San Francisco 49ers are on their third-string quarterback who is a seventh-round draft pick, and they're one win away from making it to the Super Bowl. Did they let an injury to the quarterback position not once but twice derail their season? No. Because teams that are built the right way, rosters that are constructed the right way, and teams that have the right leadership and mentality overcome obstacles. Overcome obstacles. Blaming your misfortunes because of injuries is lazy. Every team deals with injuries. Every team has star players banged up. Every single season. Plain and simple. So, does it play a role? Sure does. Sure does. Does it put you at a disadvantage? It sure does. I'm not disagreeing with that. But that can't be the go-to excuse. And I hear it too often nowadays. Well, we were banged up. Or, well, we had the injuries. Well, I see every single year in the history of the National Football League that every single year teams deal with injuries and yet somehow find a way to overcome it to win championships. Every single year. It's amazing how that works. Sorry, Saint fan. But, yeah, you had a lot of injuries this past year. You're right. You sure did. Still no excuse. Great teams with great leadership find a way. They always do. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Reynolds, to the show. Reynolds, it's been too long, brother. How was your weekend? How are you this morning? I've been doing great, 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 great. You know, you were talking about Joe Burrow, and even when I was in college, I could see it. But all the greatest quarterbacks, I'm not saying he's great right now. He's really good. But if you think about it, all these quarterbacks have physical attributes that put them in the NFL. Correct. 
what he has uh, is the mental ability. I mean, his, his most great quarterbacks have like a computer in their head. They could slow down the game. They could process information at super fast speeds and make decisions based on that. And you could see that in him. The, the scary part is that he's still a puppy. I know. He's still got about four, five, six years to be really seasoned. I mean, look at Joe Montana. Look at Brady. Look at uh, uh, Breeze, uh, Marino. All the great quarterbacks, they were cerebral. They, they processed it in their, in their brain, and the game slowed down. And that's why I see in Joe, uh, Joe Burroughs. I mean, he hasn't hit his prime yet, be, Reynolds. He hasn't hit his prime yet. Think about I know that for he's a second. Not. Yeah, that's and, crazy. I mean, I think he's going to be one of the greats. Uh, I, you know, because look, you know, I like Dak Prescott. I'm not a Dallas Cowboy fan at all, but I like the dude. I think I think it's a high uh, uh, high quality. Uh, uh, which call that um, good character guy, but I don't think he's at a level of he's He's got great physical attributes, but I think you could tell sometimes. Um, it's, it's the mental Reynolds. It's, it, it's it's the mental to toughness. It's it's not only the ability, like you said, the intelligence to be able to process quickly. Right. Look at what the defense is giving you. Go through your progressions. Make the adjustments that's that needed. Right. Uh, all these guys that are in the NFL are athletes. Have immense athletic ability because the percentage of guys from high school that even make it to the NFL is minuscule. What the difference yeah. is with the great ones is you're right. The mental sharpness, the intelligence of being able to process playbooks, reading defenses. That's something that a lot of the college guys struggle with going to the next level. Is in particular, reading defensive coverage. But the other thing that makes a difference is you got to have that and you got to have a chip on your shoulder. And when you mention all the great yep. ones, when you talk about all the great yep. ones, they all have huge chips on their shoulder. Burrow has that, has always had that, and that, I think, is what is the difference when you look at him because he has that intelligence but he also has that chip on his shoulder that he feels like he's constantly got something to prove every single yep. time he hits the field. And if you think about it, you know, all these quarterbacks go through a test uh, before they get into NFL called a Wonderlick uh, uh, test and it's to prove their, their mental uh, acuity. And if you think about it, that really doesn't do any. It's a part. It's a tool. But when you put all these – like the, the drive, the passion, the chip on your shoulder, the physical ability, the mental ability, now you're starting to get all the pieces of the puzzle for great quarterbacks. Exactly. And, I mean, I, he's going to be fun to watch moving forward. Uh, I wouldn't put him past them to beat Kansas City. They beat him during the year at, at – uh, was it at uh, Kansas City or was it at Cincinnati they beat him? I watched that game. That was a fun game. And, and don't and don't forget, they beat them in the AFC Championship game last year in Kansas City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, they're, they're they're not going to uh, be scared at all. They're not going to be scared at all, Reynolds. No. I appreciate the phone call, brother. Yeah. Thank you, bud. Enjoy your day. Be safe out there today with the bad uh, weather right. that is projected to come through. Yeah, you have a great one. You too, bud. Yeah, and and, and the other part of that, 
uh, obviously, athletic ability, when, when, you, when you're at the NFL level, everyone's an athlete. Everyone was the best in their college at their level, in their conference, best in their high school football team. It's the intelligence, it's the chip on their shoulder, and the other part of that that we don't talk about enough is not only the intelligence but the chip on your shoulder, but it's also nerves. We've seen a lot of guys. I'm glad Reynolds brought up that the the Wunderlich score, right? Joey Harrington famously had a really high score on the Wunderlich. He was not a great NFL quarterback. He was a serviceable guy. He ended up being a backup, a journeyman. He was okay, right? So he had the athletic ability. He had the intelligence. But it comes down to nerves because that's what it all boils down to. In those moments where you have to make a split decision and you have to have the confidence to do it and understand that you have to live with the ramifications and understand the pressure. And that's the thing that also so many of these young quarterbacks fail to get past, to get over, is the pressure of the situation. You see it every single year. There's a reason why we have usually an average of four to five quarterbacks drafted in the first round, and only one of them ends up panning out. Year in, year out, that's how it works. Because it's just that difficult. It's just that tough to be able to play that position at the next level. After this timeout, we'll update the poll question of the day and close out hour number two here in RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Which playoff coach do you trust the most? We only got four coaches left. Which one do you trust the most? Right now, 56% of you say Andy Reid, Kansas City Chiefs head football coach, Super Bowl winner. Kyle Shanahan is in second place right now with 23% of the vote, the San Francisco 49ers head football coach. Zach Taylor, 17%. He's in charge of the Bengals. <clears throat> and 4% of you say our guy Nick with the Philadelphia Eagles. Get to some more comments here. B-Rad says, Andy Reid, but if Joey B consistently gets protection from his O-line since he will win, going to be Bengals versus 49ers part three, go Bengals. That's what it's going to boil down to. If the Bengals can give Burrow just mediocre pass protection, they'll win that game. That's what it boils down to because he'll make all the throws. He'll make all the throws. They don't have to worry about that. They just have to give them enough protection to be able to do so. And if they can do that, they're going to win and they're going to go back to the Super Bowl. 
as it stands right now, I'm not I'm not here to make my picks this morning. But as it stands, January 24th at 7.56 a.m. on this glorious, slightly chilly Tuesday morning, I'm leaning Bengals-Eagles Super Bowl. That's what I'm leaning towards. Now, I'm going to study on it, and I'll make my pick on Friday's show, as will our new producer, Dawson, which I just informed him of just now, so you have homework. Let's get to another comment. Salty Steve says they have done all a wonderful job this season. Obviously, that is why they are still playing. As much as I dislike saying it, the 49ers coach has done the best job. He has had three starting quarterbacks take notice, Saints. Numerous D-line injuries early in the season and has the longest win streak still in the playoffs. That's why you don't make excuses with injuries because the 49ers are proving that you can be down to your third-string quarterback and have numerous issues on defense with injuries, and yet you're one win away from the Super Bowl. Well-coached, well-organized, well-built teams overcome injuries. That's how it works. That's how it works. Go back. I can give you multiple examples. Think of the greatest show on turf. That never even happens without an injury to Trent Green. They give Court Werner the chance, and they're off to the races and win the Super Bowl that year. Tom Brady got in because of Drew Bledsoe got injured. It happens every single year. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number two. We'll kick off hour number three with Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press and the McNeese Coaches Show. Going to talk all things Cowboys. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Game hotline is 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You want to get those phone calls in coming up in about 15 minutes. Love to hear from you. Get your thoughts on the AFC Championship matchup, NFC Championship matchup. LSU women improving to 20-0 on the season after a convincing road win against Alabama. And also, we can talk Artie Marino deciding to not sell the Angels, which is good news for the Astros because they will continue to be awful, because that's what they've done for the better part of the last 15 years of Marino's ownership. Hey, Mike Trout, generational talent. Thanks for not being in the postseason. That'll be coming up. Also coming up, Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, is scheduled to join us at 8.30 to talk about the Pelicans. When are we going to see Brandon Ingram return? Hearing some rumblings that we could get some good news there, Pels fans. Could get some good news. So we'll talk about that coming up. But leading off hour number three here of RP3 and Company is our friend from Lake Charles. He's the host of Poke Nation on television. He's the host of the McNeese Coaches Show on radio. He covers the McNeese Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. The multimedia superstar, better known as the great one, or as we like to call him, Jimmy G from LC, 
Jim Gazzolo joins us now. Good morning, my friend. How are you? You know, the way you treat me, I should be in like a smoking jacket or with a pipe. <laughs> you you make me sound like I'm some old-time, you know, <laughs> lecturer or something. I just, I'm just tearing shorts and a T-shirt, so... Let's move on. You have a library. You you have a library filled with mahogany and pipes and books with words and no pictures. Yeah, I. No, I like pictures. The man likes pictures. My time. Yes. Oh, all right, bud. Why are you picking up where already Marino? Oh, why? Why is that what you want me to go with? Poor Artie Marino. Just he bought poor Artie Marino for no reason. Just no, 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 no. Shot no. at a guy miles away. Well, okay. First of all, he decides not to sell his team, which means he's committed to continuing wasting two generational talents while having them and not being able to construct a roster that is worth a darn. Uh, he is an incompetent owner and probably should sell the franchise. But more so, Rob Manford's happy about it. Because, because you know, Artie has passion, so he's happy that he's not selling the team. This is the man that's in charge of baseball, by the way, Rob Manford. But um, that's a discussion for another day. That's a discussion yeah, that's a for another discussion. Any, any opportunity I can have to blast Rob Manford, I take full advantage of, Jim. You know this. And I enjoy that, by the way. Yes. I enjoy that. Let's talk about the McNeese Cowboys men's basketball team. The woes. Yes, the woes continue for John Aiken's team. It boils down to when you look at this team, they're in these games, Jim. They have opportunities. Many times during this losing skid, they're winning these games uh, in the second half, yet they're not finding out ways to close it out. Is it as simple as that, that they're struggling with their ability to be able to close out games? Yeah, I mean, they, they're, it's exposed now that, a, they don't have a go-to guy. B, they don't have go-to plays. When you can, when you have a chance to tie or win a game under the basket that you're going to, and you cannot inbound the ball or call a timeout when you have two timeouts left, Uh-oh. there's a dysfunction. And that is they could not inbound the ball, and they could not count to five to know to call timeouts and reset. So there was no movement there. Nobody went to the ball to say, I'm the guy. That's the issue. I, I don't see them. What we saw with Nichols, they had a guy to go to. Caleb Huffman scores 12 of the team's final 15 points. You know he's getting the ball. You know he's getting the shots down the stretch. I mean, he's had four different guys touch the ball. At one point in time, three of them made turnovers. Who is your go-to? What is your go-to situation? It's not there, and we're almost into February. Why isn't Christian Shoemate that guy? Because he has the skill set to be that guy, and we've seen him be that guy. So in late in games, why aren't they just trying to feed him the ball and let him drive to the basket because he can attack it well, draw fouls, make free throws, do something. He can make layups. He can dunk. So why isn't late-game scenarios – revolving why why isn't he the guy he's another guy he needs somebody to initiate the play to him so what you're seeing is they drop three guys around him and nobody else has stepped up 
if, if you're going to do that and you get him the ball, you have to have somebody to kick it to because they're not going to let him beat you. Correct. And he can't drive. We saw Huffman take the ball, drive it. He's not a, he's not a drive and jump shoot guy. He's got to get the ball around the basket. Someone's got to get him the ball. Who's that guy? Uh, Jonathan Massey dribbled the ball out of bounds. Uh, Trey English threw a turnover when his opportunity came. There's nobody that, that, that we've seen all along, no true point guard, and that is basically what kills this team at crunch time is who initiates an offense, what is the offense going to be, who's your go-to guy, who's taking the big shot. That's part of tryouts are, tryouts are today. If you want to try try to take the big shot, they don't have anyone that's stepping up in those late game scenarios. I also look at this team, and I saw confidence. I, I saw a team that played with confidence against the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Jim, in a game they ended up losing by eight at the Legacy Center, but they fought hard and gave the Cajuns everything they could handle, and then they open up conference play with a win against Northwestern State. And then, uh, I mean, they open up conference play with two wins, including the win against Northwestern State on Joe Dumar's day. It seems like the very next game, the loss to Texas A&M Commerce, which they were up by eight and let that lead get away from them and lost in overtime, it seems to me that they lost their confidence and they haven't been able to get it back ever since. Am I right? Yeah, I think it's part of it. I also think part of it is those were the first three games that you mentioned with the small lineup. Right. That's now on tape. And there's a way to defend it. And that is pound it. And what we saw from Commerce, what we saw from Houston Christian, were big guys scoring 30 points, 28 points. And when you have that, because you can't guard inside, because you've now gone with a smaller lineup, they haven't adjusted back again. So the adjustment period went from we have the advantage with four guards to we don't have the advantage to we haven't done anything to take back the advantage. So once you're on tape and these things are on tape, people can now defend you differently. And I'm, I'm honest, I don't. they're running the same things to win games that they ran last year, and everybody knows it. It's Zach Scott or nothing. We're talking with Jim Gazzolo. He covers the McNeese Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. He also hosts the McNeese Coaches Show right here on The Game, which you can listen to every Wednesday night starting at 6 o'clock. I look at this team, and they're better than they were last year, but they're still at the bottom of the standings. And the Legacy Center is going to be home of the Southland Conference basketball tournament. And they only take eight teams, Jim. And I look at the standings, and McNeese is in number 10. So if the tournament began... Well, officially tied for eighth. Let's, let's, they're officially tied for eighth. Officially tied for eighth. <laughs> but on the Southlands website, they're at the very bottom. But that, that's fine. <laughs> that, that's fine. I'm just, I'm just putting that out. They're in danger of not making the conference tournament, which they're hosting. How much of a black eye would that be if that happens? Be two black guys, a broken nose, and concussion. Uh, it would be, it would be everything they fought for would be out the window. Everything that they've invested in will not have paid off. Um, it's unacceptable. 
Uh, and I can tell you it's unacceptable at all levels. So um, it would be a game changer for the, the program would have to make an overhaul. And I think we all know what that would be. Um, because you can't do all they're trying to do. I, it really comes down to this more than the tournament coming here. You have gone out since the hurricanes and made major investors invest in the program. Sitco, that they said would never invest, is invested. Uh, the Billy Navarre Auto Group, completely invested. You look around, there's all these signs about new investments and that. You promised them there's a change. And if there's no change, you have to make a change so that that promise comes true. Well, speaking that of that, a way of putting it? no, that's a very subtle way of putting it. Speaking of when I see this team play and I compare it to the roster that is online, there's some names of guys that were supposed to be big time contributors that haven't been able to play. What's the latest when it comes to some of these guys health wise that were supposed to be some of these guys that were supposed to take the shot or lead the offense or, you know, do everything that John Aiken wanted to do here in year number two. I, from what I understand, uh, most of them, with the exception of uh, the big, f- oh my gosh, he's been gone so long. I've got uh, Malachi Rhodes, the big, f- the big guy, uh, are not coming back. Um, now, it depends on who you talk to, how hurt they really are. Um, but there are there is some question marks as to who is and who isn't playing that could that would raise some eyebrows and some situations. Um, but Malachi Rhodes is the only one that I am aware of that is expected to be back at some point in time. That's mid February, which really only gives you two weeks before the tournament. So that's that's another thing is what have we brought into the program when we vetted, um, and how willing are they to play because. There's a lot of question marks. Um, there's question marks there. There's there's question marks into, um, uh, like I said, the, the biggest thing to me is this. They made a great adjustment to get the four guards on the court. But there was always going to be an X adjustment from the opponents once they saw it on film. What have we done to change that? And I haven't seen that yet. And that's why we have a five-game losing streak with losing as, as the game slowed down and it comes crunch time. We're not seeing anybody step up and make the play that needs to be made. They play very hard. Don't get me wrong. They play very hard. But they don't play always as if they, they treat the ball like a hand grenade sometimes. With their schedule the way it is, and obviously they got to play Texas A&M Corpus oh. Christi on Saturday, and they're right now – tied for the third-best record in the conference. But Incarnate Word is another team on the struggle bus with McNeese, them and Lamar. The struggle bus. The struggle bus. Is Thursday night's game a must-win for John Aiken and the McNeese men's basketball program? Yeah, uh, I I think so. I, I think that we're now at the point where, if you look at it, they have three games against the two teams they're fighting with. They've already beaten Lamar, but Lamar has improved. They've beaten Nichols. They've beaten um, Corpus Christi. The, the Lamar team that McNeese beat twice this year 
has has gotten some guys back. It will not be the same team. So really, this could go off the rails within four games. Three of the next four games are on the road, including Incarnate Word. They have to beat Incarnate Word. They have to get ahead of them. And then Lamar is the only game in town in those four. If they were to lose Lamar and lose Incarnate Word, I, I would struggle to say they're going to be favored in any other game. Not at the current moment. Uh, so that I think I think Thursday night is a must, even though it's on the road. Yes, Jim, always appreciate your time. As always, enjoy the Meanies Coaches Show this Wednesday night. I know you got Gary Golf stopping by. Appreciate your time and have fun with this week's show, brother. Yeah, we'll talk about a, a program on the rise. How's that? There it is. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day, which playoff coach do you trust the most? 56% of you say you trust Andy Reid, Kansas City Chiefs head coach, Super Bowl winner. Not to mention he had all that success with the Philadelphia Eagles all those years when he had Donovan McNabb as his quarterback. 22% of you say Kyle Shanahan. 19% say Zach Taylor. And 3% say our guy Nick with Philadelphia. It's probably Andy Reid. Right, guy's going to be going into Canton, Ohio. Legendary coach, great offensive coach, part of that Mike Holmgren tree, which essentially is the Bill Walsh tree, right, coaching tree. And, you know, Andy back in the day was in Green Bay coaching up Brett Favre. I mean, he's been around that long. (laughs) Great amount of success, great with quarterbacks, but – the big fella, and you know I have a fondness for fellow big fellas. Big fan. Pro guys over 300 pounds. Offensive linemen touchdowns, I'm here for it. Big guys, here for it. But Andy does have history of flaming out in the playoffs. And you go, huh? It always gives you pause. So... He has the Super Bowl ring. He's been to three Super Bowls as a head coach. He's won one. Great offensive mind. Tons of experience. But on the same hand, you go, eh. You always think Andy's going to do something. (laughs) Then you go, eh. What are you doing there? But I, I understand why the vote total is the way it is. I think of the four coaches, the guy I actually trust the most is Shanahan. Now, I know 
dad had some meltdowns and Kyle was part of the brain trust in Atlanta that had the 28-3 blown victory, right? He wasn't the head coach, but he was on staff. To be able to do what he did this year, where your starting running back, Elijah Mitchell, missed, what, half the season with injuries? Your starting quarterback that you spent all the draft picks on gets injured and you have to go to the backup you tried to get rid of, but no one wanted him, Jimmy G. And then he gets injured and then you have to go to a seventh-round draft pick. Bosa was hurt on defense. They had other guys on the defensive side of the football get injured. And to be able to overcome injuries to key players at key positions and figure out a way to tweak your game plan and to win all these games, and they have the longest winning streak of any team in the playoffs, and now they're one win away from getting back to the Super Bowl, I I think that's the most impressive of the four for me. Now, do I still like Philly to win that game? Ooh, I do. I lean I lean towards Philly. It pains me. You know I hate giving any type of respect, love to anyone in the NFC East. That's not my team. And I even I have a love-hate relationship with my own team. But on the road in Philly, whew, that's a tall order, man. It's a tall order. And I think San Francisco's defense will do a very nice job against Philadelphia. They will try to contain Jalen Hurts. But this is going to come down to how many key throws can Brock Purdy and the offense make? Because he's going to have to make some throws. And he's going to have to make better throws than he did against Dallas. Because Philly's defense is better than Dallas's. So he's going to have to step up. They're going to have to be able to depend on Brock Purdy to make some throws. Can they do that? I I don't know. I don't know. I think it's going to be a close game. I think both games are going to be immensely close. I think think we're in store for two classic championship games this weekend, whether it's the NFC or the AFC. I just do. I think that's what we're in store for. Doug on Twitter says, Andy Reid has the experience, but when it comes to the coach on the field, I'll go with Joe Burrow. Hashtag in Joe we trust. Hashtag in Joe we trust. People love Joe Burrow. They love him. They love him. Has Joe Burrow, this will be a poll question we can stash away, Dawson. Is Joe Burrow become the most beloved figure in the state? overcoming, overtaking Drew Brees now? Sure does feel that way, doesn't it? Sure does feel that as the state, and I'm talking bandwagon fans as well. (laughs) Okay. I'm talking a lot of people that were on that Saints train that have Saints memorabilia up in their house. Now I've taken it down to make room for Joe Burrow, Cincinnati Bengals stuff. (laughs) You know who you are. (laughs) Once again, you know who you are. I do believe he's overtaken now, Drew Brees, as the most loved current athlete representing the state of Louisiana. I think he's that guy now. Because I even have people that don't even follow sports ask me about him. That's usually the telltale. People that don't even follow the NFL buying Joe Burrow jerseys. That's usually the telltale sign. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them before we 
sign off on today's show. Coming up after the timeout, Ali Cassell from the Bird Rights. We're going to talk Pelicans. Do we have good news on the horizon involving all-star Brandon Ingram? We'll ask Ali that coming up next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The New Orleans Pelicans have been treading water a little bit here while their all-stars are still on the men. Zion Williamson out with the hammy. Brandon Ingram out with the toe. Herb Jones has been beat up as well. But yet they're still 26-21 and 21 entering tonight's game against the Denver, Denver Nuggets, who are the best team in the West as they come to the Smoothie King Center. To give us the latest with the New Orleans Pelicans is the man in charge of the bird rights. Our friend Ali Cassell joins us now. Ali, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Raymond. I'm doing well, buddy. How you been? I've been good, bud. I've been good. So the Nuggets come to town. That's not great with a depleted roster. Uh, so what should expectations be for tonight's ballgame? Ooh, tough. You're, you're hoping for one of those uh, unexpected victories, right, where – you know, the Warriors just recently beat a Cleveland team without Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, because the Pelicans are going to be shorthanded again, right? No Zion. Brandon Ingram's doubtful. He's getting better, and I'm sure we'll talk about him. But look, Pelicans are going to be shorthanded once again, because even Najee Marshall, he's questionable to play too. So these are three key guys, right? They're three of the four best playmakers the Pelicans have. And when you're, you know, that shorthand, now you've seen the offense has kind of struggled to finish games. Well, now you kind of know why. You need more than what you've got on the court right now. And look, they're in an interesting spot as well because despite the, their woes and their three and seven in their last ten, they've lost four straight. You know, there's some other teams around them that have done the same thing. Dallas is three of seven in their last ten. The Clippers are four and six. So they're all kind of jumbled right there together even though Sacramento, Memphis, and Denver are above them. So they've been able to kind of keep pace a little bit, being in position as one of the top four teams in the West. That's still a win for this franchise, correct? Yes, and thank goodness they built up a cushion, right? I mean, if they had been, say, just a few games over 500, well, right now they'd be right in that muck. I mean, look, what is it? I think between Dallas and all the way down to Portland, like there's three teams below the playing tournament that are still in it. And and all these teams are separated by something like three, three and a half games. So you don't want to end up down there, right? You want to you keep your heads above water. So, so far, they've been okay. Because, look, every team goes through, you know, the lulls of a season where they just don't play well for whatever reason. Injury, you name it, slumps. So the Pelicans right now are going through theirs. And hopefully this cushion that they had built up will keep them afloat to where – now, sudden Brandon Ingram comes back, Najee, and they can get back to their winning ways. They built up a cushion, and they were able to f- finish 
games and figure out ways to win without BI and then figure out how to win without Zion, right? But it it seems that they've kind of, I don't know, ran out of possibilities here. That you're having guys getting minutes that probably shouldn't be getting that those many minutes because they're being forced to. What can Willie Green do while he still waits on B.I. and Zion to come back to try to maybe switch things up a little bit and get this team back on track? I think the biggest thing is figuring out how to score in the fourth quarters. Three of the last four games, which were all losses, they were had leads in the fourth quarter, right? Up in Cleveland, uh, Orlando, and now against the Heat. And you've got to figure out, and they were earlier in the season, figuring out ways to win those games, those close games. I mean, I know that they did poorly in overtime games, but overall in clutch minutes, they were outstanding. Now they've hit a wall, and like I said, it's because, honestly, they're having trouble just putting those points up on the board. So you've got to figure out a way, and it can't just be all on CJ. We saw what Miami did, right? They, they started doubling him as soon as he got across the half-court line, and, you know, that's not good because the Pelicans didn't have anybody that, you know, you could rely upon. We saw Herb Jones create a little bit. Um, Jose Alvarado tried earlier in the game, but somebody's – going to have to do something and look they're capable enough of where you know some of them can dribble some of them can pass some of them can shoot so you've got to figure out just something right hopefully they didn't practice yesterday they've had two practices in the last three days I'm sure they worked on it I hope we get to see it tonight why is this team so much different and performs poorly on the road compared to home well, I'll tell you what, for the first time in a long time, they actually have a real home court advantage. They I do. Used to go to games and yeah. people used to say, yeah, they're playing at home. Why are they losing? I was an empty arena. Or the fans weren't loud. They've been loud since day one. So that's been honestly a very big thing. The other thing is, they, I mean, I, they say sleeping in beds helps and all this and that in your own beds. I mean, I don't know how much that, you know, goes to, um, say, in the Pelicans' favor here. Because they're a young team. Usually that matters more for older teams, I've always felt like. But whatever the reason is, they're not alone, right? There's a lot of teams that have played really well at home this year but have struggled on the road. I mean, I know the Pelicans are, what, four, five, six games under 500. But look at, say, the Warriors, right? I don't know what's going on with them, but just about everybody else. And the Western Conference does not have a winning record away from their home arenas. So Pelicans aren't alone, but it is tough. For whatever reason, I can't, I can't put my finger on it. It's probably a multiple factors, right, for every team. But for the Pels, I think just having a healthy roster, they'd win more games on the road than at home because I think they're honestly one of the best Western Conference teams. Just need to get at least a couple of these key guys back and keep them back. We're talking with Ali Cassell, editor of The Bird Rights. He joins us here on RP3 and Company talking all things Pels. They play once again Denver tonight inside the Smoothie King Center, the best team in the West. What's the latest on Brandon Ingram? Is it good news? Is it not so good news? Is it what we have grown accustomed when it comes to the health of the Pelicans news? <laughs> it, it's good news in my book because he's finally gone through a couple full practices and he got upgraded, right, <clears throat> from where he was always naturally out on the day before uh, the games to now doubtful. And I think there's a strong feeling that he's either going to play the following night, tomorrow night, against the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves or against the Wizards on uh, on the weekend. So I think I think his return, it's just right around the corner. And he even told us last yesterday himself, as long as um, he doesn't have experience kind of any soreness, anything 
dehabilitating, right, in his movements. That's the biggest key for Brandon because he told us that he got over the soreness fairly quickly, but then it was pushing his toes uh, or pushing that toe to, you know, extremes like cutting, jumping, everything he needs to do on the court to be successful. But he wasn't, you know, there was still pain, basically. Now he's at a point where he says he can tolerate it. So, like I said, it sounds like he's just right around the corner. He's right around the corner. What's the latest on Zion? Yeah, I wish I had better news on that front. Uh, Zion is supposed to have his imaging done today, and that's really going to determine everything. If it comes back to where that muscle's healed, he's going to be able to start ramping up conditioning, and I think we could expect him in, say, around two weeks or so. If it still shows, you know, there's that tear and it hasn't completely healed yet or, or something else negative, well, they're going to keep him shelved, obviously, for a little bit longer. And, of course, that's going to push his return date back. And worst-case scenario, something probably say around the All-Star break. So that's big. They need him back as soon as possible. I want to ask you something. And I know that Griff would never do this, okay? But this team has proven that they can win without him. They did it last year when they didn't have Zion at all and made the play-in tournament, won the play-in tournament, and, you know, performed well in the playoffs. They're going to be without Zion with a good portion of this season yet again. Would they ever entertain the fact of saying, you know what, we love the kid, he is special, he has a unique skill set, but he's, he's not on the court enough for us. Would they ever consider trading him to get value back for players that can help them and be actually on the court and help them win games. Is that ever something that they would ever even consider? It would be, but not at this time. And I would say probably not, at least for a few more years. We see what a game changer he is, right? But the fact that he's under control, team control, for what, over five years, there's yeah. no rush on it. It's usually once you get within that two-year fr- uh, time frame, like a lot of players are around the league that kind of ask out, that's about when they ask out. That's, I think, kind of the ticking t- you know, time, time clock on that one. So, no, not not for the foreseeable future, Raymond. No way. Tell me about Kyra Lewis Jr. And is this someone who can help the Pelicans this season? Or is he in Willie Green's doghouse? Or what, what's I mean, what's going on with him? I think he is a guy that could help. I mean, I've you know, he's played in limited minutes, mostly in garbage time. But he, he's shown that his explosiveness is back, right? That speed. But he looks stronger to me. And he, he looks more aggressive. Like, th- there's none of those tendencies where he was just e- either overanalyzing or being basically doubting himself out there on the court. So I love what we've seen. I think he could help over, say, Devontae Graham, who has not, you know, seemingly made a shot outside of a few games for the last two months or so. But Willie loves Devontae. He keeps putting him in and giving him minutes. That's his guy. He loves Devontae. Yeah, and, and I could make the same argument, right, for Jackson Hayes. Why is he playing over Billy Hernan Gomez? Yeah, that's true. Both guys have, you know, underperformed the vast majority of time in the last two months. And I think there's two reasons for it, Raymond. One is I know that they're on the trade block, that if the Pelicans are going to make a move, they're going to be used as probably salary filler because it's unlikely there's going to be some team around uh, the league that says, hey, I want that guy on our roster, right, because they haven't played well for a while. So the Pels thinking is maybe they can get hot for a week or so. So suddenly a team, and they do this. There are teams that suddenly like, okay, he's turning the corner. We look at his history. He hasn't always been bad, right? Or in Jackson's case, he's showing signs of development or step forward. So I think that's one reason. The other is just simply 
this dogged determination by Willie on not wanting to upset the chemistry and the balance of that locker room. I, th I feel like I've felt that since day one he entered. He pays due respect to the guys that have more seniority. It happened last year with um, Garrett Temple, right, not playing certain guys over him, which lasted, what, about three months, an experiment or so. So I think there's both things at play. Because once you say demote Devontae in favor of Kyra, well, what happens if Kyra plays poorly? I don't think Devontae would really want to, you know, jump back into the rotation or Willie, you know, would be, be able to look him in the eyes because that's just kind of the guy he is. So I feel like that's kind of like the, the, the point of no return. If you're forced to cross it, then I'm afraid, you know, you feel like you're left with no options. I think that's how Willie looks at both of those situations, unfortunately. Ollie, appreciate you, Tom, as always. Great insight. Keep up the tremendous work that you're doing with the bird rights, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday, brother. Absolutely. Thanks, Raymond. I hope we get to talk about some wins because, I mean, nine losses in the last 12, they got to stop spiraling. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And, hey, let's hope it's tonight. Huh? That'd be great. Hey, they've beaten Denver already this season. There Maybe it is. Maybe they can pull out some miraculous win again. There it is, brother. Thank you, bud. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer. Or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, me, oh, my, crawfish pie. Another show is coming to an end. Hey, before we close out shop today, I just want to make sure, look, everyone be safe out there today. We have the bad weather that's supposed to be coming through this afternoon. That's why they're letting school out early across the board. St. Landry, St. Martin, Lafayette Parish, Acadia Parish, across the board, throughout Acadiana, throughout Southwest Louisiana. Okay? We're supposed to have some very, very destructive high winds. It's going to lend itself to tornadic activity, okay, this afternoon. So be safe out there. Make sure you go get your kiddos early. Get them checked out. I have to go pick up my daughter at 1230 today. Boom. Make sure you're at home, not out and about. If you don't need to be out on the roads this afternoon when the bad weather starts to come through, don't. Stay at home. Be safe. Take care of your family. Trust me, it ain't worth being out there. It just isn't. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Bob Marlin, Louisiana Raging Cajuns men's basketball coach, Jim Gazzolo, our buddy, Jimmy G from LC, talking all things McNeese Cowboys basketball, and then Ollie Cassell, the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, talking New Orleans Pelicans. Thank them for their time. Our poll question of the day was, which playoff coach do you trust the most of the final four that we have? And winning the vote, not surprising, 56% of you say Andy Reid, 23% say Kyle Shanahan, 18% say Zach Taylor, 
And 3% say Nick from Philadelphia. I'm going to open it up to the new producer, Big D. I, I don't like that. I don't like that. See, when I say Big D, it makes me think of the Dallas Cowboys, and that makes me feel negative, makes me want to throw up a little bit in my mouth. So I don't want our relationship to start off that way. So I will come up with a better nickname for you, Dawson. Sorry, my apologies already. No worries on that. We'll work on it. All right. Which playoff coach do you trust the most? Everyone overwhelmingly voted Andy Reid. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, he's the coach with the most pedigree, clearly. But I think he's also got one of the toughest hands this week with Mahomes limited. I just Mm – and that – but then that goes back to him being the guy. He's got to come up with some creative ways for them to score with Mahomes' mobility. Certainly going to be limited if he plays. He'll play because Mahomes will force the issue. But a high ankle sprain, the only way that you fix that is with rest. And his ability to make decisions, make throws while moving around in the pocket, sometimes throwing the ball sideways, is what makes him special. The high ankle sprain, as we saw in the second half of the divisional game, limits him. That kind of takes away something that makes him special. Can the Chiefs overcome that? against a very determined Cincinnati Bengals team. I don't know. I don't know. I do have questions about that. Yeah, and I, I also think the thing with the Bengals, though, is is the O-line was last week the exception of the rule because they played really well, but it's still a lot of guys that haven't played a ton of meaningful snaps. So I wonder if they can hold up again. And they haven't played great all season. So are they due for like an off game, right? That's another part of that. It's a good point by you. And everyone's going to beat home to death the fact that Joe Burrow's 3-0 against Patrick Mahomes, right? We're going to hear that. That's going to be the, the thing, pounding the table. But I heard constantly all last week, Buffalo's 13-1 at home in the playoffs. And that didn't matter, right? So sometimes those stats, sometimes those streaks, those little nuggets that we like to discuss on the air, sometimes really don't matter. That's going to do it for today's show. Thanks to Dawson for holding it down, manning the ones and twos want to thank all of you who commented on the poll question, all of you who voted on it, and all the people that called the show. Thank you for your time today. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next. He's got Bob Marlin on. Got to stay tuned for that. That's all coming up right here on The Game.